This, the Chad and Cheese podcast brought to you in partnership with TA Tech. TA Tech, the Association for Talent Acquisition Solutions. Visit tatech.org. Dude, I just got off the phone with Tag. Tag, Tag. Oh yeah, over at Uncommon. Dude, do you know another Tag? Anyway, Uncommon just opened up their resume database of 100 million candidates to recruiters for free. Whoa, wait, what? Yeah, Uncommon's releasing their new database matching tech in beta before the end of the year, and they want to show it off to recruiters for free. All right, let me get this straight. Recruiters can sign up for Uncommon's beta, post their jobs into the system. The system then matches only qualified candidates from Uncommon's database of 100 million candidates. And this is all for free? I know, dude. For two weeks for free, but only during the month of October. Dude, Uncommon has some of the best matching tech in the industry. That'll be like cheating for recruiters. I know. Uncommon uses the qualifications in the job description to automatically source, screen, and deliver candidates that meet all requirements. It's pretty freaking dope. Did you just say dope? Here's how you register. Go to uncommon.co, click on the join beta button, and for all you Chad and Cheese listeners, if you use the promo code Chad Cheese, you will get extended by a full week. That's three weeks in the Uncommon beta for three weeks free i'm sorry did you really say dope dude shut up tell your recruiter buddies uncommon.co join beta chad cheese three weeks it's dope hide Hide your kids kids. lock the doors you're listening to hr's most dangerous Dangerous podcast podcast. chad soash and joel cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right Right where it hurts Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. As if dealing with one so wash wasn't enough. I've got two so washes in this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to an uncommon exclusive Woo-hoo! for the month of October. Uh, our special guest today is Julie Sowash. Yes, that kind of Sowash. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here, especially on an uncommon exclusive. So happy. So what bet did Chad lose uh, to get you on the show? Really? He asked me. It is an honor to have me on the show. Come on, Cheeseman. <laughs> anyone who calls me cheeseman is good in my book uh julie for those who don't know you and love you like we do uh give us the elevator pitch and why the hell are you on the show all right well not just because i'm chad's wife as as some may say um but i work for a non-for-profit consulting company called disability solutions and we focus on helping companies build enterprise-wide hiring systems for people with disabilities and veterans with disabilities. So we work with big companies. We've helped over the past four and a half years, companies hire uh, close to about 1,200 uh, people with disabilities. So it's National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and uh, I appreciate you guys letting me spread the good word. And she's a badass. I mean, that's just, <laughs> you know, not that I'm biased, but yeah, no, she's total badass. Not biased at all, uh-uh. of course. No. Uh-uh. Um, I did not know that it was uh, National Awareness Month, so that's that's news to me. And and I am I am much less versed in this disability compliance stuff as your husband, 
Um, but I've worked really hard to get a list of questions for you. Uh, in addition to Chad's thoughtful <laughs> inquiries, um, I'm going to start it off if that's okay. Yep. Knock it out. <laughs> what is, what, what are companies biggest failure when it comes to hiring and recruiting disabled persons? Um, well, first they say disabled persons. Um, they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. (laughs) So just one point of education, I guess, to start off is that you don't put the disability first, you put the person first. And it's harder to say and a little bit of a pain in the ass, I know, but we all feel better when you say people with disabilities or individuals with disabilities, um, other than focusing on what's broken with us, quote unquote. Fair enough. Now we know the the podcaster's biggest failure. What are companies' biggest failures? (laughs) Um, so I, I think that they just have so much fear and stigma that still exists around hiring this population. Really, we're only thought of in kind of two different ways. There's the compliance, right? So we do it because we have to or we say we're going to do it because we have to and the government is holding us accountable for that or they go the complete opposite direction, which is the charity mentality that every person with a disability is broken and they're unable to work in a successful position in your career. So we have to create charitable programs or create jobs for them to be able to have a a human experience like the rest of us. Okay. So here's the thing, because we talk about this all the time. It's about all the warm and fuzzy bullshit that's out there. I mean, I see it on the veteran side all the time where it's like, oh, we love veterans. Oh, we're veteran friendly. So instead of going down that road, because I think it's total bullshit and people talk about it all the time, even on the side of of individuals with disabilities, I want to hear and I want Julie to be able to talk about fucking outcomes, hiring outcomes. So this is your stage. Tell (laughs) us about like programs and what you guys have actually done to be able to help companies get actual hires and also retention. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that's the important thing is that this is not just a PR activity. Um, When companies are doing it, they need to go all in and approach it as a talent acquisition strategy. Um, We're at near employment, full employment, and there are jobs going unfilled. And there's a talent pool that is just not being tapped into because people are scared of how to engage us. And so, you know, from a from an outcomes perspective, I'll start with my favorite not, well, my first and my favorite, Um, (laughs) uh, you know, a a long time ago, maybe four or four and a half years ago, Pepsi approached us and said, hey, you know what? We really want to put our money where our mouth is. We want to start hiring people with disabilities, not just do philanthropic activities like donations and that kind of thing to organizations. And so my organization um, said, sure, let's figure out how to help you do that. And in those four, four and a half years, Pepsi's hired almost a thousand people with disabilities into just their beverages facilities. So that that's a pretty huge number. And I don't see anyone else, maybe one company that's touted that kind of number. And you'll notice that Pepsi doesn't talk about it publicly because I think that they can be the brand leader because they've actually done it and they've approached it as a hiring initiative or a strategic initiative. But it's part and parcel to who they are as an organization. They hired in the African-American community and marketed to it first. Um, And this was just an extension of who they are as a company. But they also knew to make it sustainable, it had to have a return on investment. It had to have a business value. It couldn't be based in 
feeling bad for people with disabilities or thinking that we can't do physical jobs or we can't do sales jobs. They said, find us talent, help us get the messaging right. And in doing so, they've been successful and they have good ROI and they have great reach now into our community. And people feel comfortable saying, I'm a person with a disability when they apply, when they get hired at Pepsi. And that's that's what I'm talking about. Okay. So that's that's Pepsi. You guys also work with Synchrony, which is on the financial side of the house. And it's an entirely different kind of organization to hire for. Tell us about that. Yeah. So Synchrony is awesome in terms of like when you want to work with a company who is like all in on inclusion, um, they knew as as a strategic initiative from their leadership. So from their executives, you can see their CEO, Margaret Keene, doing a Bloomberg talk on the value of hiring people with disabilities. They knew that they wanted to do this because they're inclusive by nature. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What does all in mean to you? All in means that they're willing to put resources, dollar, time, and brand to an initiative. You can't say, I'm just going to hire people with autism in Mishawaka, Indiana. And and that's not all in. <laughs> I, that right, might be a right. nice pilot, but that's not all in. When they said, we that's, need something that, pro- that we that's can- That's probably a shitty pilot, to be quite <laughs> frank. <but laughs> you know, it's the first random place I thought of. Yeah. They really- kind of went to that other side. They were thinking, how can we make an impact in our community? We want to change the world for people with disabilities. And you love working with companies like that because their heart is in it. But my job as as their consultant is to say, that's awesome, but let's make it business driven too. Let's have goals and measures. Let's make sure that our systems are working to create opportunity so that when you have success and you hire people in Kettering, Ohio, you can grow that to other locations, either at all at once or in a kind of systematic way. And that's what they've been able to do um, from one site and then grow into more sites, which makes sense. um, But their system also works with that. Gotcha. Julie, at the risk of sounding insensitive, um, like that's ever stopped you before. <laughs> it's never stopped me before because she's all in. What disability is sort of the most challenged in finding employment and why? And how do we help uh, you know clear that hurdle? I think that depends on who you ask. And I would say that my opinion is that people with serious mental illness, um, which is not a huge population in our country, about 10 million people have the biggest barriers to employment because that is where the most fear lies. I was actually reading an article uh, last week that recruiters would rather hire a person with a physical disability, one that they can see, than someone who suffered from depression or anxiety, which are probably the two most common mental illnesses in this country and aren't necessarily defined as serious mental illness. So if people like that can't get a job, um, and, and recruiters are scared of hiring someone because they have depression or anxiety. What is it going to be like for someone who has a serious mental illness like bipolar or schizophrenia? Their chances of getting employed is almost zero. Um, Which is why people don't identify as actually having yeah. a disability, when it, especially when it's hidden, right? And, and they don't even take the chance and they become dependent on government assistance and, and the social safety net because employers don't feel comfortable giving them even an opportunity. And, you know, and some would disagree with me, but what I think is the biggest way to start to overcome those hurdles is to normalize disabilities like mine 
and physical disabilities into the workplace. So that when you think about like even the LGBT movement over the past 40 years, you know, we started accepting one acronym and then the next one and then the next one. And now we are accepting of so much more so many more people in that community. And it's the same, I think, with with disability. It's like once we get comfortable with, hey, depression is a normal part of life. You know, we saw Jason Kander pull out of his mayoral race yesterday because he had to admit for the first time out loud that he has PTSD and he's suffering from major depression. And we say it's okay to take care of you and you have a value in the workplace then that's when we start to overcome some of those barriers and we start to really push people who have more significant disabilities to be able to have opportunities. But until we normalize even the most basic or well-known disabilities, then the rest of us have, or the rest of people have no chance. Okay. So let's flip that. Let's flip that real quick. So I've actually seen um, organizations who focus on specific disabilities. So let's say for instance, autism. Um, I mean, so, and that's one of the things like with veterans, it's like, okay, you know, we want to hire just this segment of veterans because we think they're perfect for our jobs. And that to me is a bunch of bullshit. So from your standpoint, is it the same? I mean, so let's say for instance, like some of these autism types of, of not that, that, you know, you shouldn't hire individuals with autism, but do what do you think about just focusing narrowly on one disability for positions within your organization? So that that's a tough question to answer. First, I, I have to put it like two different hats on when I think about it. The first one is my consultant hat. And the consultant in me says there are roughly a million and a half Americans with an autism diagnosis. 80% of those are under the age of 22. And so if I'm thinking about quantity and quality of, of people that I need to fill my jobs, that's a pretty limited talent pool. And most of them are not even to working age yet. Right. There are roughly 45 million Americans, one in five, who have a mental illness. One in four Americans overall has a disability. So, you know, you're setting yourself up for some failure. So 25% of Americans have a disability. Yes. Yep. And that just got updated last month by the CDC. Okay. And so when you're thinking about how to make impact, how to actually change the world because that's what these kind of programs are doing. They want to change the world for people with autism or with a certain disability. If they focused on the larger population, they could have so much more impact as a company, but they would also get a much better business return. And then from a branding perspective, uh-huh. uh, it's pretty damn frustrating. So yeah, from, from your standpoint, I mean, because I mean, you're an individual with disability, but you don't have autism. So, you know, if a company actually says, yeah, we're, we're really just focusing on individuals with autism, what does that do to the, really the lion's share of individuals with disabilities who literally could do that that job? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a, such a small percentage of the disability population that it it's pretty insulting. As a person with a disability, it's pretty insulting and it's incredibly off-putting to the rest of us who just want to go to work, who want to have opportunities. Right. You know, and, and it also very much reinforces stereotypes that we would like to break down. It says that people with autism 
are only good at maybe IT or finance jobs, that they can only work in these four or five positions within a company, or that they need special programs where they have job coaches and et cetera, et cetera. And the, the point is, is if you've met a person with a disability, you've met one person with a disability and trying to shove a certain disability into a certain job classification, it reinforces very, very bad stereotypes within the working world within employers that we have a limited number of jobs that we can do. But it also then from a consumer perspective and a job seeker perspective, I don't want to go work for those companies. I don't suffer from autism. I will say, I'm glad when any company is hiring. If they hire five people and those five people get to work, I hope those people run with it and they grow into a career with that organization. But the money companies are spending to run these singular small programs could be reinvested into enterprise-wide programs if you actually approached it as a hiring initiative that targeted the talent and not the disability. Julie, we hear a lot in the news about the gender pay gap, but we don't hear much about, I guess, a disability pay gap. Um, is there one? Can you talk about that a little bit? It's a little bit hard. There is there is certainly a pay gap. With people with the most significant disabilities, there's been a lot of change in our world over the past maybe five to six years about uh, moving away from what's called sheltered workshops where people kind of do piecemeal work. Well, um, and they get paid like pennies on the dollar, literally, to do... Yeah, they may make 10, 25 cents a day. And and that certainly reinforces stereotypes. And those are people with the most significant disabilities, and they may not be able to go into a full-time position. But really what we see is that that's a way that companies used to outsource labor to keep um, piecemeal type of production very, very cheap and then call it philanthropic work when it's, in my opinion, akin to servitude or, or unpaid work altogether. But overall, because the unemployment rate is still so high with people with disabilities, we don't really know what the pay gap is. And because people are not comfortable standing up and saying, hey, I am a person with a disability, the analysis can't really be done yet. What I see most often in terms of where I know that it impacts pay is people with disabilities being steered into entry-level jobs um, or being put into jobs because of their disability that are well below their skill set. I, I was actually just watching a video from a, a successful hiring program and a young lady, I believe, had like two undergraduate degrees and all kinds of like mad skills. But because she didn't interview well and because she came through a, a program specifically for people with disabilities, she got put into a call center job. And I appreciate that she got the opportunity and I hope she gets the opportunity to grow, but that's not really utilizing her talent. And that's definitely going to create, even if she continues to grow in the company, that's going to create a barrier for her in terms of pay because she's going to have started in a place lower than her peers without a disability. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Are they incredibly well educated? Or I mean, what's the? I mean, again, there are stereotypes behind it. What What's the reality behind it? 
Yeah. I mean, so autism specifically about, you know, 35% of people with autism are graduating with a degree, an undergraduate degree, and 85% of them are still unemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But So 85% of the ones who actually have a degree. Yes. Yes. But remember how small this population is, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. We, when we get hyper-focused on this group of people, we miss the fact that people are working and need opportunities every single day who have mental illnesses, who have physical disabilities, who have educations, who have experience, but can't get through that barrier of just getting started. Right. So you mentioned we are pretty much at full employment right now. The job market's doing great. Um, But what's what's the unemployment rate for individuals with disabilities? So the, the unemployment rate is always about twice of what the, the overall unemployment rate is. But where it really kicks in is that because people with disabilities don't participate in the labor force uh-huh. as much, we have about a 70% unemployment rate. And part of that is because of social safety nets that the government has trained people with disabilities to be fearful of going back to work. But it's also because companies have not sought to engage in any meaningful way with this talent pool. Julie, in the news uh, recently, we've seen Amazon uh, raise the minimum wage for their employees uh, to $15 per hour. Uh, We've also seen uh, the gig economy kind of explode. Um, Upwork uh, went public this week. What do these two trends mean for uh, those with disabilities, both the gig economy as well as the increases uh, in minimum wage? So I think they're great opportunities. One thing that we do see is a focus on people with disabilities in entrepreneurship programs who are able to work remotely if, if they're working in like kind of gig economy. I think some of the social challenges and networking challenges make that right now maybe not as advantageous as it could be for, for kind of gig work. Raising the minimum wage, in, in, in my opinion, is good for every worker but it's definitely going to impact people with disabilities who are in those entry-level jobs because they're going to be able to get higher wages. They're going to be able to start to come off benefits and and that kind of thing. And they're going to be able to have be lifted out of a place of poverty because even people with disabilities who have educations, a vast majority live at or near the poverty line because they aren't able or they're not ha- they're not given the opportunity. Let me say it that way to get into meaningful employment based on their skills. So what they're actually they're they're being underemployed, but it seems like much like on the veteran side of the house, the underemployment. Not to mention what I like to call charity work. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing is that like these programs that are based in charity. As soon as the economy does what it does, it corrects. We take a downturn normal business cycle or worse, Mm -hmm. then these charitable-based programs go away. And these companies have sold people with disabilities employed through these programs a bill of goods. We value you. You have a place here. That's all bullshit at that point because you're just overhead because it's seen as a philanthropic endeavor, a charity endeavor, instead of an actual business strategy. And that just reinforces why people don't participate in the labor system, why people with disabilities, you know, why employers are scared to hire people with disabilities because charity has been such a high focus of these like kind of PR activities around hiring. So how are your clients, how's Pepsi, how is Synchrony Financial, how are they viewing it and actually creating these business focused types of programs versus 
charity? And, and, and what did you guys have to do at Disability Solutions to really kind of get them away from some of the, the, the thinkings that were out there? Or did you have to? Were they already, they were just ready to do it? I would say no company's ready to uh-huh. do it. They, they might have a great desire to do it, but they're not sure how. And that's part of the trepidation too, is they don't know how to take that first step. Uh-huh. And with some companies, I would say with all of them, it's starting with understanding how their talent acquisition system systems function, because uh-huh. I don't feel like I've done a service to the company I'm working for or to my community if we have to create special programs every single time. People with disabilities should be able to live and apply and go through your talent acquisition systems like other people. There might be opportunities we can create within those systems, right. but they still need to be able to be a part of your system of record. That way, not only is the program compliant mm-hmm. and we can work on those self-disclosure numbers, but it also becomes scalable right. and sustainable. And so that's really the first, I think, thought process that companies go and we, we have to create an entirely different way for people to apply. We have to create all of these systems to support and Yes, people may need some support, but that's on an individual level. Mm-hmm. And if we can create inclusive hiring experiences through our vendors and systems that companies work with, then the people have a much higher chance of actually getting in front of that hiring manager. Okay, so so Pepsi, I mean, because they're they're a, they're consumer good, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so from their standpoint, you know, in the numbers that you just say, they're close to a thousand hires, around thousand hires. That's well above any of the other companies that are coming out on the on the the PR side of the house saying we love individuals with disabilities. So, you know, that's a huge number. So obviously we haven't heard anything from Pepsi on the PR side. So this is obviously something that they believe in. When are they going to shift this into um, more of a focus of their whole culture so that it also helps them sell product. Really, if it is a part of their culture, that's what people want to gravitate toward and they want to be able to support companies who believe in people like them, right? So, I mean, I love that Pepsi's doing this and they're staying quiet about it, but dude, turn around and start, I mean, flip on the PR. Your guess is as good as mine. And if if I could convince someone in Pepsi marketing to say, hey, let's start talking about this all right now, um, I I would have done it two years ago. But, you know, to their credit, they care about the community and they care about their brand and they want to make sure that they've demonstrated that they're doing it. And they're not just talking about it. And so you see some companies who've hired like three people and they're doing PR all around it. And PR is good in terms of, yes, people with disabilities can work here, but it doesn't really mean anything to me as a person with disability because it's three people. Right. I want to see a company actually go all in and hire across the country, across the world, big numbers. And I think that is Pepsi's vision, Mm -hmm. um, or or at least that's how I feel. and, And I know how committed they are to it. Would I love them to talk about it? Hell yes, I would. Um, (laughs) how many locations have they actually hired individuals with disabilities into? So we've actively integrated their employer brand and program, which is called Pepsi Act. It stands for Achieving Change Together, Uh um, into nine U.S. locations, um, some manufacturing and warehousing, some sales and call center type of jobs, Uh and some technical kind of repair and refurbishment roles. So a good variety of roles within that beverages system. But what we really have seen there that is even more impactful is that their self-disclosure numbers are raising Uh. across the country because people are hearing. We're a small community. And so while you 
haven't heard Pepsi out on, you know, their halftime show at the Super Bowl, hint, hint, um, doing PR for this. Uh, they've been awarded state and national awards for their programs. State workforce agencies are recognizing them. Um, they got a visit in North Carolina from then Secretary of Labor Perez because local community-based providers said, we know a company that's doing this right and we want to introduce you. So there's gotcha. a lot of word of mouth that has traveled that's really helped this to grow in a, in a brand way. So nine locations, but how many, I mean, you've seen impact past those nine locations. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, like probably 40% of the hires that are self-disclosing are outside of those facilities. So that's happening really driving from a branding standpoint yes. because there's a culture and they can see it and they believe it. Yes. And and what I love about Pepsi Act as a brand, uh-huh. they, they said upfront, this is something that we want to do. We f- make sure that the language is right. And what we really stayed away from when we were working on the branding was a charitable-based message that... Achieving change together is the community benefiting and Pepsi benefiting from the talent. Uh So it's a win-win strategy. It's not a charitable-based strategy. It's not a compliance-based strategy. And I think that's really meaningful. And it's one of the, and and I'm biased, obviously, uh, it's one of the only employer brands for people with disabilities that really is all inclusive and not based on a charity model. My, my limited knowledge of this topic sort of ends at the, uh, the borders of America. <laughs> um, Julie, paint for me a global perspective of disability. What countries are crushing it? What countries are, are really way behind? So I, I think some of the European com- countries are doing substantially better than than we are because they have been focused on integration for longer. And other countries that are developing, like India, have a need. They, they actually have a need to go and hire people with disabilities because there are no social safety nets um, that help people survive when they're not working. And because they're growing so fast in terms of economy, they need to be, be able to get people to work. So from what I've seen, and I was able to, to visit India last year with one of our clients, and they were putting in training to teach managers sign language. They were hiring people from the deaf community who had college educations into multiple roles. And each hiring manager had a, had a hiring goal and a commitment to the activity because they needed bodies and they needed talent. And they also have a commitment back into their community. And what was cool about that experience that I think I, I love the most was that they were doing it because they wanted to and because they needed to, not because the government was making them, right? No one said, we're going to take away your federal contract if you don't hire some people with disabilities. They already saw the value and the need in their community and in their business. And that's where I think, you know, those those countries who are developing and growing so much faster than, than we are in America right now because we're aging as a population, I have a feeling that they may get ahead of the game um, in the next you know, 15 years or so and actually start to make real impact because they want to. Last question. So what really pisses you off (laughs) most when you're actually engaging with a company, you're talking to them about effective hiring of the, this amazingly big talent pool, which is well-educated and so on and so forth. What pisses you off most that they're saying back to you or the, at least the kind of the kind of uh, the narrative that you're hearing? Hold on, hold on. Let's get it on. <laughs> there it is. Oh my. So, so that's actually a pretty easy answer, a question to answer. And it, it's in one word and it's called appetite. 
I have heard so many times from DNI leaders who I'm meeting at conferences who were, you know, pitching services to sometimes who who have hired us and they've said, you know, there's just not really an appetite for disability in our DNI programs. We're just going to concentrate on race and gender because we have a commitment to diversity. Well, no, you don't. You're like old school you know, 1970s thinking. Now, wait, of a race wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Time out. So they actually said specifically, we're focused on diversity, but we don't have an appetite to hire individuals with disabilities. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got to be shitting me. I mean, they, no. they are actually hey. the people in DNI. These aren't just hiring managers. No. I mean, hiring managers that, that yes. we're talking about people who are responsible yes. for diversity hiring yes. programs. These are DNI leaders at Fortune 1000 companies who will say to the disabled girl or the girl with a disability in the room, yeah, I just don't know that we have an appetite for hiring people with disabilities we're going to focus on on race and gender, and I think that's going to be good. And that's their commitment. And I, you know, some have said, "Well, it's a slippery slope. If we start including veterans and people with disabilities, where will that end?" I don't know where you get an <laughs> inclusive workforce. That would be awesome. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! And I, I can tell you, there are brands that I no longer interact with, and I would never disclose those publicly. But there are brands that I will not interact with because their DNI strategy is so ass backwards that it's only focused on what the government required them to do in the original affirmative action ex- executive order. And the reality is, is I'm a woman with a disability. There are people of color with disabilities. There are veterans with disabilities. There are LGBTQ individuals with disabilities. We're a pretty inclusive group. We we are all inclusive. And when you hire us, you hire those other really important populations too. And it's it's insulting and it's bullshit. And it's just, it's like a diversion. They might as well just kind of kick me out and throw me on the street because they don't have any interest in in what we're doing. Okay. Well, I love that we, we now have to put an E on this podcast because Julie said bullshit. Oh, yes. <laughs> Way to go. Awesome. Yes. So proud of me. <laughs> So, Julie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time. For those uh, like me who are limited in this subject, where can I learn more about the subject? How can I learn learn more about your company? Um, You can visit us at disabilitytalent.org and check out uh, all our services and our outcomes. I mean, all this other stuff. Yeah. Twitter handles, really? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I'm a newbie. Uh, We have a Facebook page, Disability Solutions. Our Twitter handle is DS Talent at Work. And my Twitter handle is Julie Sowash. And I also have a Facebook, an email, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You can find me everywhere. And I want to talk to you. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for for your time again. And uh, Chad, if there are no more questions from you, uh, I guess we out. We out. We out. Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, The Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been The Chad and Cheese Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Remember to visit tatech.org. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit 
its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.